Suzanne, it uh, becomes easier to understand the promise your mother asked of you when people realize her story is of a family who immigrated from Nazi Germany to the USA after miraculously surviving the Holocaust. They'd finally found a beautiful life here when their daughter suffered, their daughter, you being you, suffered this hor horrific accident. And many Americans today have forgotten the horrors of fascism. So tell us a little about your, your family's danger uh, of hiding uh, Jews while living in Nazi Germany. Well, in those days, a political party had overtaken the country and they became your, um, you know, they burned the books. There were people just had to obey whatever, um, whatever they said you had to do. And um, there's, there was just so much around it. It was really a survival mode. And what exactly do you want me to pinpoint around that? Um, well, they were, they were of a Christian background, but, and Correct. so, and uh, I know, uh, was it your grandfather who refused to join the Nazi party? Yes, yes they both did. Hmm. Um, if you refused, they usually executed you. Um, they, came, they came to their homes and they, they took your family out on the front, in the front yard. You could either sign and join, or if you didn't, they executed you. Both of them were um, engineers. And so they were... They were spared because they were useful. So if, you, mm. if they had a use for you, they would use you until there was no longer a use for you. So, right. But they, uh, but your, uh, the, the fact that they were engineers meant that uh, they had a skill in configuring ways to hide Jews who, were, who would have been executed had they been caught. Of course, they'd have been executed too for, for hiding the Jews, but, but, uh, to describe a little, I know you don't know a, a lot about it because they didn't want to talk to you about it, but uh, from what you gathered, how did they, uh, how did they hide um, these Jewish r refugees? Well, I, I think those will be secrets forever because um, they had, they had their, their, they were constantly being watched. Your neighbors watched you and reported you. Um, if you were reported as not, complying with with um, any type of law that was passed down or if you questioned anything you were reported so neighbors um, were turning on neighbors um, but you know if they tried to hot many people were are always trying to do a good thing I, I really don't know to be honest how how my grandfather I can only imagine because they're very they're very exact and they're very methodical. So uh, I'm sure they had to think it through with great thought and care because their lives, lives were at risk. Now, there was another story that I, I was in your book and I thought it was really fascinating. Maya was um, your grandmother, is that right? Mm -hmm. My mother's mother, yeah, my grandmother. Your mother's mother. And she uh, was sent to the country because... Uh, I guess she'd been buried alive under the rubble of her bombed apartment. Is that? No, they, they would send the children from the city out into the country and they were separated from their parents. So my mother was sent out on a, on trains and they would send them with, you know, strangers to live out in the country while the bombings were happening um, mm -hmm. just to try to keep the, the children safe. 
So my, my grandmother stayed in the city and she was buried alive there because they, you know, the buildings were three stories of, you know, apartments and um, she was buried alive. Yeah. They were bombed several times. But one time as a child, when she was, uh, she wandered into the woods and came across a cat lady. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us yeah. about that. Yeah. What you know, what you know well, about that story. My mother was alone a lot because people were frustrated during the war. And she said, you know, they just left her to be by herself and no one called her home for dinner or washed her hair or really took care of, of anyone. Cause it was ser- It was just a survival mode. So my mother wandered in the woods and, um, often and one day she wandered pretty far out there and she saw this old shack and it kind of reminded me of Hansel and Gretel except inside was an absolutely lovely woman who had many 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 cats and it was actually a woman who never had children of her own so to see this um unkempt and 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 orphaned almost kind of child you know they they became an instant and there there was an instant bond and um and yeah so that was that was rosal yeah yeah so they they took care of each other you know she got to nurture my mom and my mom got to um bring her the joy of having a child in the home yes and uh, along with at least a hundred cats and a hundred cats yeah (laughs) rosal had a lot of cats she loved 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 company well i guess we should move on to um your family moves to this to this country, and one day your family decided to go skiing. And right. uh, you fought with your mom about knotting the scarf around your neck. Yeah. Tell us about that premonition you had. Oh, it's interesting. I was, you know, as as a young girl, um, I was I was I was pretty obedient. Um, I didn't really argue with my mother. She was a strong natured person, and strong disciplinarian. So we were going skiing and she asked me to put my scarf on, which I did. And then I looped it through once and she asked me to loop it through again and make a knot and something in me that was undescribable or unexplainable. Did you ever have a feeling like you just don't want to do it or you don't want to go and you don't know why you just get this strong instinct and, and you can't ignore it. So I argued with her. I I nicely said no. And then she persisted. Yes, no, yes, no. Until, um, until, you know, she, she, she was like, what's the matter with her? And everyone started to notice because we were arguing and it was going to ruin the day um, because it was just, just arguing about it. I tried to stand my ground, but she insisted and said, you know, you're going to ruin the day. And so you better do it. And with force, you know, she exerted her parental force. And so I did comply, Mm. but it made me absolutely physically ill. And I thought that was so strange. Um, I can, I can remember every step walking up the driveway and just being so confused as to why I so strongly didn't want that tied. So premonitions are very real. Um, for many people. Yes, and, and should be heated <laughs> when when you have what when, when you have them. Yes. And, and, as as your story is about to show. Yes. So little you we know, little did we know why. So this is January 19th, 1975, and you guys get uh go out with your skis 
and you come to what looks like a ski lift. It sounded primitive, but uh, go ahead it and describe it. It is very it. primitive. Yeah. Well, they lived in a community, um, and it was it was a small gated community, and they put up a ski lift, and they don't make them anymore because of all the um, unsafe features. So it was a tow rope with which had a pulley system, and it had gears, and it was just in a, the 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 gears were housed in a little shack. So we paid attention to that because, of course, my grandfather was there and he's an engineer and he went and checked the whole system. And because no one was there and and someone had a maintenance man was locking up because it was the middle of a blizzard. So he was locking up the clubhouse. My mom asked him to please turn on the ski lift and he did. And he said, just bring the key back when you're done and turn it off. So it was that that relaxed of an atmosphere. It wasn't a a, a ski hill that was for public use, mm. um, and it was just my family there that day. So okay, and so, so here I am with my knot and my scarf in a blizzard on a ski hill. <laughs> and <Very> you said <laughs> you, you say you you took hold of this thing, and yeah. you felt your head jerk forward with a force. I that, took that, hold of it and it took hold of me. Yes. Oh. We bonded. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell, tell how that scarf bonded and what it did to you. Right. So then the rope was nylon and it was frayed and I, it's just a simple rope. It was very strong and fast though. So when you did hang on to it, it, it did jerk you forward and I, it, it was powerful. So my, my scarf was hanging. It had fringe. And when I was, near the bottom all of a sudden I noticed the fringe started to 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 get caught in the rope because it spins spirally so the so spirally the the scarf started wrapping in it and I really didn't panic I thought oh I can unpeel it and it just kept going and going and all of a sudden you start to realize wow time is of the essence here there is an end of the rope and an end of the line um I only have so much time and before I knew it it was completely wrapped to where it was so tight I was getting asphyxiated and the whole time I was slamming into these posts that that held the rope they were like telephone poles but metal poles so my head would hit in each of the poles and um and so it was a really just a really good hanging Lee and Mm. and a a great way for execution (laughs) (laughs) I was there was no way out and um at the end of the at the end of the rope, there was no safety switch. There was no one manning the booth, um, nothing. So it was going to be me and could, you know, my head going into this little hole that was cut out where the rope enters to, to go into the gears. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'm either going to be decapitated or I'm going to be smashed into bits when I hit the house where, you know, the little shack, something's, there's no way out. So at that moment, um, I realized, you know, that my death was, was right in front of me. Mm. Now your family's down at the bottom of the hill watching all this happen. Yeah. They, we had just finished a long hike an extensive hike. They didn't bring their skis. We must've trucked through about three feet Two, it. I guess for my size legs, it felt like three feet of snow. Of course it wasn't that much, but, um, we were good hikers and we were, we were exhausted. So my parents and my grandparents stayed at the bottom of the hill just to watch my brother and I 
take a few runs down the hill if possible. And um, my brother was behind me, but it was a far way behind me. And right before, I do remember turning around and saying, let go. I, I just didn't want him to witness what I, what I felt was going to happen. wasn't going mm. to be good. And your brother, his name's Robert. Right. Yes. Said, I'm coming. Don't worry, Sue. I'm coming. He tried. You know, he was younger. He tried to. He saw that I was being violently thrown on the ground and, and, and hung and crashing into these poles. And he wanted to desperately um, do what he could at, I think he was nine years old. So. Oh, dear. Yeah. He was just a little boy. He was so trying you're... to save his sister. So your neck was being crushed and it was actually broken, wasn't it? Yeah. And, um, and all the skin on my neck was, there was so much friction. I had no skin on my neck mm -hmm. and I had, I had two large lumps on both sides of my temples that were the size of softball, uh, well, baseballs. And, um, and just, you know, the, there was just, no reason I really should be alive today. There's no scientific explanation. So, mm. um, yeah, scarf came loosely, and no one knew how. My father, my grandfather, at the bottom of the hill. I remember they saw the scarf. They told me they saw the scarf come flying in a straight line, a perfectly straight line, at the top of the rope. How could the scarf have possibly gotten off my neck? go through these gears and then fly in a perfectly straight line down the hill and that was what convinced the almighty engineer that he was um he knew that this was something very very supernatural he he knew there was no explanation it was impossible for that to happen it that's was, right it was because really extraordinary it would have had to have decapitated you to do that if it if it weren't for something yeah, else and the scarf was so tangled and then the gears would have tangled it further and it was perfectly straight like the fringe and everything hung perfectly straight down like a flag like a victory flag right and that was a sign to them of something they didn't know what but they knew that there was something at work that was much bigger than them so there you are you're unconscious at the bottom of the toe co-rope booth and uh, yeah. then someone yeah. approaches you tell us about that yeah so i i i remember you know okay so the, the horror now happened i don't i don't really know what happened because i must have lost consciousness at some point right before but i remember laying in the snow and looking over and there were these beautiful trees and then here comes this light and and a and warmth and it felt like a rescue and, and it felt like a dad. So I, I felt that loving father energy. I thought maybe it is my dad. And then the light got brighter and brighter. And I knew with every, when I saw the light, I knew that that light was going to save me. I knew that it was going to comfort me. I knew it was coming for me. I knew it came to help me. And, um, I thought it was going to be my family and, and there came uh, the, these hands that reached forward and he kneeled in front of me and he just, 
in all all this magnificent glory i i got to see and and he he let me know who he was and and he said he was jesus and um and i it was kind of telepathic too where everything about him was communicated to me in a in a moment everything you need to know every question you have is is answered through his eyes in a moment um and for me his hands were just just so important because they they held me and and in that embrace i i felt like everything would be all right mm. and uh, and it was it really was and and with him came two angels um i didn't know what to call them because they were males and later in life people would talk about angels and they always talked about females with these beautiful iridescent colors and these were two two male looking and they almost looked like warriors they had um like shielded breast shields on or something and they had like work and i thought they looked like work boots but they were some sort of a boot and they looked just very very strong and and i couldn't under, and one was tall one was short and i remember as they walked towards me one was tripping a little bit and the other one was almost like he had his shoelaces untied and so the, and they made me giggle they made me giggle because they were they they were just so disarming even though they looked so powerful they were very disarming um i actually i actually had the time of my life meeting all of them so um you said you thought one was at least 10 feet tall yeah i i mean i tried in my book to describe for for people as best i could um he and so ten feet to me means larger than a normal human, um, much larger than a normal human. Somewhere in there, I would say. I mean, not giant like twenty feet, but it was like about ten. Yeah, about ten feet. Uh-huh. And did Jesus look like the image that you know is popular of Jesus with the long, long brown hair? I, I thought he looked yeah. Yeah, there's there's many pictures of Jesus and I hadn't seen any as far as like what, you know, what the typical Jesus would look like because he wasn't really part of our home at all. So um, who I saw later when I did see pictures, sometimes I see a picture and it really resembles who I saw. Mm-hmm. It was more like I, I saw him first and then later I saw pictures. Do you remember his eyes? Um, the first thing I noticed, Lee, to be honest, was the love that came from his eyes and the light and the feeling, the feeling that his eyes gave me. Um, yeah, but most his eyes were were the most gorgeous eyes because of that love. Mm. And his hands, his hands just... And and I think about hands and how we use hands to shake hands and hug and hands are so important and we can hurt people with our hands and just his hands were so extraordinarily, they just transmitted so much safety and peace and warmth and home. And oh, it was, it was just, it was just something I've, I can't even 
it's very hard to describe. It was it was mm. magnificent. In your book, you say his hands connected with every cell in my body. Everything. That's every cell in my body. Every cell. And they carry like information in, in that love. There's information while he's touching you, while he's holding you. It goes so quickly. You get this, you get this blast of, well, I did. I got this blast of, of information of all about him, all about myself, that he knew everything about me, everything about my family. Everything was connecting. Um, everything was just one. It was like one one big ball of information, um, questions, everything just had, you just knew there was, everything was connected. There were answers for everything. There was reasons for everything. There were, it was, it was just this brilliance that came through his hands. Um, and you knew he understood every single thing about you. And yeah, every cell in my body, I, I feel like right down to your DNA was touched. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was magnificent <laughs> it was like I was so excited to tell and here I was a bloody mess afterwards and and probably my neck was probably twisted and my limbs mm. in places that were you know like Gumby like a rubber doll but I I just couldn't stop the joy that I had from that there was so much joy it was baffling when they found me <laughs> who are you talking to my mother said I heard someone talking to her and she's so and my mother said why are you so happy they, they just you know and they knew they knew because the scar flying down gave them a heads up and they mm-hmm. knew and and yet the terror of it for them was something they just couldn't get past now it took them some 45 minutes to get to you, didn't it? Right. We sort of timed it out um, because when I wrote the story, I had to find a way to describe everything. Um, and so I actually went back to the Hill and I brought a measuring tapes and we, you know, we tried to, we tried to show how many steps it takes to go up the Hill from the bottom and then include the snow. And of course, here comes my science and my engineering family. And we try to figure it all out. We, we estimated about from for them to get to the top of the hill, it would have been about forty five minutes. No, no earlier. So I always, I always gave times or measurements the minimal, the minimal. So, one of the things that struck me when I was in your book, you, you described the wings of the angels like uh, yeah. big soft beds. Yeah, tell us like, about that. Like a down comforter. The feather beds. And I think, gosh, you know, when I came back, do the, do we really remember angels when we made feather beds? The the, the angels' wings were um were truly uh, and they but they were strong. So, but it, it had a feather-like quality that felt soft. Everything felt comforting, just just comforting. Everything about them was comfort and and joy and and um tremendous peace and lots of information not sure about the information part but i remember that (laughs) (laughs) there's gonna be a quiz i don't know but there was a lot of a lot of a lot of inpouring um you're like an open vessel and they take a funnel and they just funnel in 
so much information and, and everything. And I, and I really believe that that dismisses any kind of fear or, um, and especially for a child, I think for me, I really knew that, that Jesus loved children. I could, I could tell he knew exactly how to, um, approach and, and I never was scared. I was never frightened. I was extremely at peace with him. So, one of the things that struck me about uh, the the whole near death experience that you described was designed. You know, I believe that all of these are very personalized, and for a twelve year old, it was probably a perfect introduction to heaven with great comfort and great um, empathy and um, compassion. So, yeah. Uh, you said that uh, Jesus and his angels were like a team. How describe what that was about? They were they just seemed like they were friends, like best friends, you know. Um they came together. I knew that Jesus was there that they had this great respect and regard for him. You could see he was the the leader and the in this light, you know, he had this tremendous light and um and and you knew that they had they had a purpose with him uh it was their job or mission um like a a hierarchy almost so you just knew they worked together mm. he brought them with him um and um yeah and the the three of them you know were were he he was he was the one who greeted me and actually held me and they came they just stayed it was just like we were this little group it was nice it's really nice and then jesus said he was going to take you home yeah he he was you know and and i remember when he said take me home and i thought we were going to go to my grandma's house <laughs> and, and, and my grandma and i always watch mod squad and the fbi and that was our show <laughs> and so i thought oh we're gonna go and i then i remember you know he said home but there was this like he he just made it feel like everyday life except it was this the safety was amazing and so he took me um home and um and I, I really, I got to say, Lee, I remember, you know, I can really see how there comes a point where you don't look back. You just look forward. And I hit that point. At, and then right before I started to not look back anymore and just look forward to going with him where, where we were going and no longer looking back. And then I heard this horrible screaming. and I it it sort of it sort of shocked me out of my bliss and i looked down and i saw my mother at the bottom of the hill and um and so that sort of set me on a different trajectory because then i real realized that my leaving would cause great pain for them and it was you know i was really torn be- between that and um so that was you say in your book your mother was running around in circles like a chicken with her head cut off yeah, holding her yeah, hands on yeah. top of her head <laughs> she looked so silly and, and screaming and, and screaming and, and she actually 
she lost it. When we got to the hospital, she, she actually um, was given medication to calm her down. She was hysterical. Mm. Um, You know, once we finally reached the hospital, she held it together till we got there. (laughs) And then she, she, and I was in complete composure and they just couldn't figure it out because I'm smiling and having conversations and they're all just looking at me like how, what, what kind of endorphins or what is going on here? Yeah. And, and then um, once they saw my injuries, they, they knew there was no scientific reason. So, and it happened to be a Catholic hospital because we were in Pennsylvania and there were no hospitals where we were. There was no 911, no cell phones. So they had to drive me with a volunteer car um, all the way to New York. And when they got to New York, that was, a, that was a long drive. They didn't have a siren or anything. I just laid in the back seat of a car. And when we got there, you know, the stretchers came and there was lots of a big fuss. I just wanted to get home to watch Mod Squad with my grandma and FBI and <laughs> And find my dog, Heidi. And yeah. and I that's how good I felt, Lee. That's yeah. how how like that's how complete he returned me um in, in, in completely fine. I mean I came back fine. And do you do you recall um any of the the physical transportation? Because in the meantime, you're up in the air with Jesus. Were you in both locations? You feel like you had bilocated? Do you have any memory of the, of, the, of the physical body being transferred to New York? That happened after he returned me to uh, my body. I got you. So okay. I was up in I ha, I was up with him in you know in in, in at home. Oh, that's right. He returns you to to that same place at the, at the top he, of the hill. Yeah, he returns me, and that's where. He said some things to me and I remember speaking with him and we said our, you know, we sort of said our goodbyes and my mother had heard cause they were almost to the top of the hill. He waited until they came and then he left. And my mom said, who are you talking to? And who was talking to you? I heard a voice here. And then they all looked at her like, you have to be careful when you say things like that. Cause you worry. <laughs> you know, she's like, I heard a voice here and people you know, everyone in the family was like, she, did she, you know, and I'm saying, yes, he did. And, um, they just really thought I would be dead when they saw me, they right. came to the hop, top of the hill to find a corpse because there was no escaping that, that ski, you know, the ending of the tow rope, there was no escaping. But so, while you were, while you were lying there, I guess before they got to you, um you saw heaven yes yeah so when i hit you know when he came with the two angels then he carried me to heaven and there i had an amazing experience while they were trying to come get me so that was really the 45 minutes of that i can account for in in human time in earth time um in real time so they they were trying to get to the top of the hill. It took them about 45 minutes. I was probably gone for that long as, as far as we can tell by, by the counting of the steps. So there I went to heaven and I had this, this phenomenal experience there. Um, do you see? Well, when we got there, it looked like 
I saw a big tree. I remember this really, really cool big tree. And we went to the tree and we sat down under it. And then there, you know, we, I sat on his lap and we were sitting there and then, um, then came like a group to greet us. Um, I want to say, I call them a council. I, I didn't know a word at 12 years old. So it was a group of, a group of beings. Um, they looked official. Um, they looked like they were loving, but they had a, they asked questions. They, they were coming to take me somewhere. And I, I just kept asking if I could go home to my family, you know, my mom and dad. Um, I was worried and they kept putting me at ease and they tried to convince me there was nothing to worry about. Everything was taken care of and everyone would be okay. And, and, and it was this sort of really quick back and forth of why isn't she staying? Like they expected me to want to stay and they were confused as to why I wanted to return. It, it wasn't expected. I could see that, that there was like a, a question. They just thought it would be an easy transition. <laughs> and I sort of, sort of put a kink in the chain when I said no. And uh, that surprised me and it surprised them. But in that experience, Lee, I learned how much they listened to me. They could hear my heart. They could hear what I was feeling, what I was thinking, what I wanted. And, and they didn't dismiss it. They, mm -hmm. they really took the time to, to figure out what do we do next? How do we how do we work with this within you know within their their system, and um, and they did take the time, and then they reached a point where they they seemed like I remember thinking they don't have the answer because there was they were in a circle and they just kept chatting and then another group came in more and more but um, that's a whole that was a whole thing so you said I think at first there were you estimated about fifty uh beings and then it, it yeah. turned into more like a hundred yeah and if you've ever if you ever um stood on the top of a, a, a mountain um and look out and you can see the land like farmland and you know, it seems like you can see for miles and yes. so we went to we went to this place called high rock i think it's called and I tried to describe in the book what heaven looked like to me. And when I stood on this rock, I could see for miles. I said to my husband, how far is that? He said, probably 30 miles. So I said, well, that's how heaven looked to me. So I, I described that. And these beings came from towns, you know, different towns. And they came um, to assist each other in following some sort of law, like some sort of order that you know some sort of perfect decision making process and so they they gathered and they kept gathering and gathering until they came to the right answer and i realized that's how much your free will is you know now later in life i see how much they your free will is honored um and listened to and and examined and and assisted so they tried to do everything they could to to make this right for every everyone, and um, and at the end of the day, there wasn't an answer. They um, and then they looked really miffed, 
And I remember thinking, oh my, you know, I'm really causing problems here. And it was just this process. And I remember then, then they woke up. Well, along came this being that was, um, he had me study his face. I had no idea who he was and it was very chiseled and he was an older man and he looked really grumpy. He looked like if you wake him up, you really better know why. And so he was like an elder and he let me know, he let me know an age to him for some reason. And I think it was connected to wisdom. So he was somehow in charge of wisdom and knowledge and he showed me lots of things, buildings and things that housed. Um, it, I thought they were books and films. It was like recorded information. Um, I don't know how to translate that at 12. So through my life, it, it looked like universities or some sort of, it was just some sort of housing of records. And it, it was to let me know um you know, that, that things have a system and they were going to do everything they could to make sure the right things were done and how, you know, and for me, because of what I want, what I was expressing, it was, it was just a real collaboration. So this, this being took you on a tour. Yeah. He took me on a tour and I think it was to buy time, to be honest. Uh, he was buying he was buying some time and I think he was a little irritated he had to wake up. And I know, <laughs> I know they 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 joked a lot when I was there and like it, there was humor. There was lots of humor. And and the humor was, you know, waking him up was like just waking up a grumpy old bear. Like you better know what, like no one wanted to wake him. And so <laughs> they were like, that, can't we figure this out? Like, it, you know, do, do we really have to go wake up the supervisor? You know, like you don't want to have to do that. And I always got that same feeling as a nurse when you have to call the doctor. You try everything you can before you have to call the doctor. So you, you try and you do your best um, with what you what with what your parameters are. So they had parameters. That's the correct word. Um, yeah. So he gave me a tour before returning and then um and then I got to meet um I came back with Jesus and then at that time um they they really had no decision and it was it was exhausting um I remember they were just they were it was it was kind of comical because they were like what do we do now and and they wanted to hide the fact that they were saying what do we do now mm. So um, at the end, um, they had to contact, uh, they went to contact. And again, it was this, like, who's going to go? Like, who wants to be the one to have to go do this? Because we couldn't handle it. So they did go. And that's when I saw this, this, you know, gorgeous golden light. And, and through this golden light came a big, giant, almost, it was another hand, like, a, almost like an arm. It just reached it. I don't know if it was actually a hand, but the golden light felt like one because it reached. And when that light reached, that light had wisdoms that were the ultimate wisdom. Like you knew everyone was so relieved because here came the real wisdom, you know, the, 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 the superior, the all, all knowing. And then that touched Jesus and then myself and, um, 
and it was all connected. So, you know, you talk about oneness and so Jesus and that light were connected. And so they were one, um, but it was a beautiful demonstration for me to, to see that golden light. And when I see gold, I still think of that golden light. And then I knew whatever that answer was, it was going to be the right answer. I knew they took the time and they, they went to the top. <laughs> they went to the top, top of the, the hierarchy. And, uh, and then with that, I was returned. But I was told it would be difficult. And I was told, you know, they were really concerned. They weren't, they were never, um, they never talked down to me. They never made me feel as a child that I was, they were, they never made me feel they were superior to me or uh, nothing like that. They were, they were collaborative. It was like, it was just this intelligence and collaboration and, and love all blended together. Everything you, you would think you need for the recipe of a perfect decision. And, um, and in that came the decision and they, they were sad for me, you know, they were worried for me and they were concerned, you know, and they escorted me back. And they they were, they did warn you that uh, you might have to endure a terrible pain. And they were just kept saying, are you sure, sweetheart? Are you sure? Do you really, you know, it's going to be so painful. And they were just so, they were just so, um, but they were honoring, honoring me in the same time in what I, what I was choosing. And so they did return me. And um, of course, I always knew that it was not my choice alone. It was I felt like it's part of a part. The decisions are part of a bigger picture. And I knew there was a big picture and each of us is just a piece of it. So I didn't know exactly why, but I knew it was a gift. Even though I would be in pain, I felt like they gave me a great gift. And um, there's a a line in your book that I, I really loved. It's they said I was a sweetheart. I heard the word sweetheart several times. The communication was like music without lyrics, speaking without words. It was like looking in someone's eyes and seeing their souls and understanding it completely. I thought that was that's 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 the the words. When I wrote, I was always in seclusion, and I always asked for guidance for words, and because words are so hard to match to the experience, and they always gave me the words. Because Lee, I was not a writer. I didn't even write a Christmas card or birthday <laughs> cards. That <laughs> wasn't terrible. My father would always say, "Well, just pick up our birthday cards because she's never going to write them or send them." And so, writing for me was a, was an effort, and and I was helped when I asked for um, guidance and and instruction how to write. And it really came out. I thought the book came out like a sort of just like a good old campfire story um, that you can read really quickly and I wanted people to be able to just get what they needed you can even just read one chapter and that'll have what you what you might be interested in Mm. that that to me was brilliant and on the part of the guidance I got that I received Um, so then then Jesus returns returns you at that point yes and and, uh, you said you were lying there on your side with the in a pool of blood 
Describe. Yes. I remember when, when he returned me because it's such, it's such an event when you re-enter your physical body and, and, and I don't, I didn't really know there was a separation until when I returned. I, I just knew that I could sense that it was very cold. The snow all of a sudden was starting to make me shiver. And I looked and my eyes were able to open and I looked at the snow. Um, and, and I, then I could see all the blood and there was, there was so much blood. Um, when I got to the hospital, they took my shirt, they cut it off and they literally wrung it out. It was a long sleeve turtleneck and they wrung it out in the sink several times. That's how much blood I had lost. And, wow. um, and, uh, and I, I remember then recognizing the physical what, and they told me, they said, don't be afraid, but you know, you're going to have pain and, and, and it's not going to be easy. And, um, you know, cause they can't promise, um, here. I feel like, you know, they were honest and, um, and I did have pain. I mean, even after my experience, I was never, I was, ne- I did not live a life that didn't include pain and suffering. I mean, mm-hmm. that's part of you know, the journey and, uh, and they let me know and they felt sad that that was going to happen. Little did I know they, they sort of dropped another gift, which was a spontaneous healing. And, um, and so I didn't know what to call that at 12 years old. And, uh, I just knew everyone called me a miracle when I got to the hospital, the nuns was a Catholic hospital and the nuns came in like a sea of nuns. I'm not kidding, Lee. I couldn't even see the end of the hallway. And they just all came in and they and they wanted to put this plaque up in commemoration of the of the of the miracle at Bon Secures Hospital. And and they came. And so because my mother hushed me not to talk about it before we got there in the car on the ride there, she said, Shh, you know, because I was so euphoric, I wanted to jabber about it all day long. Oh, she said, no, 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 no. And, you know, stay quiet. And, and also, you know, then I quickly got a sense of it's not safe somehow to talk about. I I didn't, it, it made me pause and I trusted her. So I didn't, but then the nuns came and confirmed everything for me (laughs) because they knew that, oh, it's a miracle. And so for me, it integrated it very quickly because they, I, I got to know, I was like, they know, they know these things happen, you know, and they're, I was like, oh, they know. And okay. so miracles for me became um, special and everywhere. And I, and I just pay attention to them more, you know, and, and I enjoy them more. Um, and, and so that was a wonderful experience. Yeah. You wrote, when I returned, my mother really had to guard me because my heart was so innocently wide open and unprotected. Oh, yeah. I, I trusted that everyone w- trusted that everyone was good. I did. I did <laughs> for most of my life, Lee. I, and I and I slip and I fall back to that a lot. And I, I could get myself killed doing it. So, but I remember my mother was constantly, I would give away my toys. I would give away my belongings. If someone said, I like that here, it's yours. I thought we're all one, we're all connected. Um, everyone knows each other's feelings and thoughts like I had felt there. 
there's this perfect understanding. And um, I just thought people can read each other so effortlessly. I didn't know how to separate from that. Mm. It was um, because I the beings I had met, everyone understood everyone so effortlessly. Everyone spoke to each other knowing your intentions and your heart and your thoughts and your, your whole full self. And so I always get frustrated here, you know, as a child, how much time we spend on saying, did I say that correctly? You hope the person understands you correctly. Did I use the right words? You apologize, hoping your apology is (laughs) correct. It's so frustrating after having an experience like that, where you know that we can instantly see and feel what the other person or the other being is, is thinking and feeling. So that was a struggle for me and, and, a, and a heartache, a, a terrible heartache. I had to figure that out on my own, how to fit in. I had to find a quick, and I, and I was going into teenage years where you know it was very turbulent how do you fit in so right different world what an experience yeah it's, it was it was it changed <laughs> my life you yeah. devote a whole chapter uh in your book to the light describing the light and uh it, it's really lovely uh yeah. And and then you go on and say the being I will always know to be Jesus had extraordinary love that blended with the light and made it shine. Love is the light. It's just so connected. Everything's so connected and um and unforgettable because even though I was hushed and even though I didn't have the experience to I didn't find anyone else who had a near-death experience in my lifetime as far as a discussion with them until I was till after I wrote my story in seclusion, I didn't, I didn't ever know there was others um, except once in a while patients when they were, I knew patients had experiences when they had trauma from uh, surgery or accidents. Um, but, and, you know, so I just, I just, was in seclusion and wrote my story. And after I did all kinds of doors opened up and here I am speaking with you and meeting so many others and so many people that have had um, extraordinary uh, experiences with the light. Mm. Um, And I always love to hear about it. I'm I'm so glad uh, that you're joining the group of, uh, of us who've talked about these experiences, because if enough people heard these stories and realized their truth we can change the world you know the beauty I, of that you saw in heaven the 30 miles of, of of view we have here on earth if we would only uh treat it right and treat one right. another right right and and every now and then you see big glimpses of it or you see the you know you see the light shining through others you see people that are so inspirational you know, or even when you see a child that's born and they play the piano like a concert pianist and you wonder how did that happen or just so many different, different, but actually being on, on your program feels very much to me. I hope you accept this and 
as, as a compliment, but it, it feels very much to me like when, um, when I was with Jesus and I met people that were very accepting and loving. So I feel like when I meet other experiencers, I, I get to get that piece of heaven mm. um, connection. And, and, and in that it's just, it's so relaxing and, and rewarding in the sense of knowing that there's others who are, are trying to, to let that light shine, you know, yeah. It's it's important. It's important. Well, it's uh, you become um, really aware of it when you go to uh, one of these in-person <clears throat> Lions conferences. It's a terrible disappointment to, to do it on Zoom compared to being in a room with maybe 200 people who've had a near-death experience. Wow. It's, it's, it's very uh, I have yet to exciting. experience that, so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I, I really am looking forward to that. It's so exciting to me to think of, of what that might be like. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for telling this story. Um, and, and you did receive a message you say in the book, lovingly share this with others, which you've just done. And anyone's life you touch will only benefit from it. And I can't help but agree that that is true. I hope everyone shares their stories. I think, I think our true stories are, are, are the most important thing to share because we can all benefit and learn from each other and, and, and light each other's light. I know many times my light gets dim in life when I have hardships and there's always someone that comes along and lights that light again. And it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. So thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful experience. Um, (laughs) I'm for so me, for, for me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know you too, Suzanne. I'll try and to keep my boundaries. I'm sending you a big hug. <laughs> that's Thank fine. You for having me. I'm uh, still 12 years old sometimes when I tell the story because I get to keep that childlike piece of me through it, and and it's really it's really something. So I hope oh. it helps others, Lee. I hope anyone who listens knows how loved they are and that. You really are listened to and cared for perfectly. Thank you. It's because of people like you that this show is a success. Well, Well, listen, my thanks to you, Suzanne Seymour, for sharing the the amazing story of your childhood NDE. And if folks would like to find your book, uh, My Secrets from Heaven, or find out more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, my book is on Amazon, My Secrets from Heaven. It's on Amazon. Um, and I'm a very accessible person. So that's where it is. In my story, I knew the reason I wrote a book was I knew that that was probably a good way for people to read about it privately at home. It's a quick read. And I thought they can gain quickly from it if you're in the bathtub or you I know the other day I had a really tough day and I, you know, sometimes you just gain strength from grabbing a hold of something that might add more light to your life and more inspiration or more, more insight or more mm. comfort. It's really comforting. Yes. Um, and the comfort, we, we just can't get enough in this world of comfort. So um, <laughs> we got to comfort each other. <laughs> well, especially in these, sometimes. <laughs> these times of, of, 
COVID and other oh, natural and unnatural disasters. Natural and unnatural. And so <laughs> the one thing we do have is we do have our ability to have compassion and love and kindness. And that's so healing and so invigorating too. Thank, Thank you for having me. 